Hey, everybody, welcome to 2021. Amen? Amen. Good. There are a few of you excited about it. There was a few in first service a little hesitant about this new year. Well, 2021 is here. Whether you're hesitant about it or whether you're excited, let's get this on. I think the one thing that I can tell you that maybe 99.8% of us in this room and those who are online can share this, that we are waiting for something new to happen this year. Amen? Actually, we're hoping. We're hoping for change. And I will tell you, normally, I am not a fan of New Year's resolution sermons. I believe every Sunday is a New Year's resolution, amen? But I think this year we need to talk about new and change. I think this year is different. I think that I can't recall in my personal life a more anticipated time as now that we really hope things will change this year. But here's the deal. There's a song, I, it's from 2009, I believe, John Mayer. A song, I really love the music, Waiting on the World to Change. You guys heard that song, those you know, maybe the music just a little while ago. I love that song and I hate that song because I don't believe we should be waiting on the world to change. If we wait for the world to change, I think 2021 is going to look a lot like 2020. But instead... I want to do kind of what this video said. I want us to pray about the new. I want us to find our chances to be the new. Don't wait for the world to change. Let's change. And how do we do that? Well, it starts with God. God is making all things new. The Bible tells us God creates new life. God restores life. God renews life. God resurrects life. He's always making things new. So let's talk about new and change not just this Sunday. Let's talk about it for five weeks. I'm excited about this. We have a new sermon series. Uh, it's called Be the New. And I don't want to talk about New Year's resolutions. I want to talk about a New Year's revolution, and that the church leads the change in what our world needs. So it normally, if you look at most sociology studies, it takes about 21 days to ingrain a new habit. So we're going to assume that. It takes 21 days to ingrain a spiritual habit. And we are going to go over five new spiritual habits so we can actually be the new for 2021. We're not going to wait on the world to change. We are going to be that change. So, but first, we'll welcome everybody to our guests. I see a lot of new faces. Uh, for those of you who are here and those of you who are online, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And Jack brought up this beautiful worship guide you get when you walk through the door. For those of you who are online, this is tagged there on Facebook Live or tagged on our website. Uh, on the back, there are these sermon notes. Don't have very many this week, but this is an outline of what we're going to talk about when we talk about Be the New today. And so you can follow along with that and, uh, and keep track with us there as we head forward. Um, but before we can be the new, uh, before we can be the new that we can be, I think it's important that we leave something behind in 2020. And so to do that, I need us to go backwards just a little bit and talk about 2020 just for a little bit. There's something that we cannot bring forward with us. If we bring this thing forward, it'll mess with anything that God is doing new in our lives. It'll slow it down. It'll bring it to a stop. And so I was trying to think, well, how do I depict what this one thing is? And I was kind of noticing on social media that everybody is like using the Time Magazine person of the year. You can like, go out on your, on your computer and get the template and you can put whatever you want. Well, you, every year Time Magazine comes out with the person of the year. It used to be man of the year. Started in 1927, Charles Lindbergh 
the famous aviator was the first one. And it's, it's adorned many presidents, popes, military people, political activists, social activists, peace activists. It has shown every year the person of the year that's put on the cover of Time magazine is the most influential person of change in the world. And when I was looking at that, I saw people going out, they could take the template and they could put whatever, I saw people putting pictures of healthcare workers and people that they really thought 2020 deserved, this person deserved the, the person of the year award. But you know, sometimes when you looked at Time Magazine, you would see that sometimes that influence, that most influential person wasn't for good. Adolf Hitler was a person of the year in 1939. Joseph Stalin was in 1942. What they're saying is the most influential person. So I, I'm going to kind of hang on this negative note. But I want to show you a Time Magazine cover that shows you who I believe the person of the year for 2020 should be, and it's not positive. And here it is. Pride is the 2020 person of the year. Pride. This is a thing that we do not want to carry forward to 2021. Let me explain this a little bit. Never in my history and recollection has something been more influential over a nation than pride. In the last 12 months, specifically the last nine months, three major arenas, the virus, COVID-19, politics, and racial unrest, we've talked about these, they have revealed something. And when we talk about the virus and things, we talk about, well, it's not so much the virus itself, it's what it's revealing in us is where our struggles have come. But I believe those three major categories plus everything else the world is dealing with has revealed this ugly thing about our nation and world and its pride. It's interesting how, I carry these around, how a mask can bring out our pride. It's interesting how a ballot can bring out our pride. It's interesting how skin color can bring out our pride. If we want to be the new in 2021, we cannot bring pride from 2020. And let me explain what pride is and why I'm so keyed on this to start about being the new. Here's your first sermon note. Pride, why are we picking on pride? Well, it is the root of all sin and struggle. Everything originates in pride. If we examine all the sin and all the brokenness in the world and all the destructive, all the darkness, we will find pride is the root. The Bible describes pride is the root. When we look at Proverbs 16, 18, for you uh, people who love God's scripture, you can look at that and just remember a lot of it. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. It says, pride goes before the destruction, haughtiness before a fall. We tend to shorten it. Pride goes before the fall. But the actual proverb is, pride goes before destruction, haughtiness, puffed outness before the fall. What is pride? Pride is really self-worship. Is about a good way to explain it, but let me break it down a little bit. Pride uses this language. I earned it, I don't need help, and I don't want your opinion. Those are three common pride statements. But there really is two kinds of pride. I think there's, there's obviously a bad pride and there's a good pride. Bad pride is sinful pride. Sinful pride is, is simply this, giving ourselves credit and refusing to recognize God's sovereign role in everything. That is really what pride is. Pride says, I don't need God. And maybe it's just in some issues. Like, I can do this, I don't need God. I don't need God today, I got a handle of today. But it also says, I don't need others. I don't need other people. Pride 
is the root of all sin. When we take the throne, it is the root of idolatry. It is the root of sexual immorality. It is the root of stealing. It is the root of greed. It is the root of addiction. It is the root of anger. The list goes on and on and on and on. Pride is the root. It starts there. Now, there is good pride. Like, I know some of us are thinking, I was thinking this while I was writing this. It's like, well, I'm proud of my kids. Is that a bad thing? No. No, there can be some good pride. I, I think I worked on a project on the house, and it takes me a while to get them done. But I take pride in getting something done on the house. I think a lot of people do. But let me put that pride in where that perspective comes from. Good pride is recognizing that apart from God, I can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. Good pride is recognizing apart from God, I can do nothing, and therefore give God the glory in everything I accomplish. That's good pride. When I think of my kids, I think, thank God he gave me some wisdom at 21 years old to have my first kid. And thank God he helped me in all days I wasn't the best dad in the world. Thank God that when I finish that new area of the house and finish working on it, it's God's house. And I updated God's house, and it looks nice. And I give him the glory for the skills and the, and the finances and things I can to be able to do that. But the, these are fun topics to preach on because we all struggle with pride. We all have pride issues. We all have pride issues every day. It's a battle I think we all fight. And sometimes pride is really obvious and sometimes pride is really subtle. I want to give you a list of where I think it's really subtle. These are the ways I can look at pride and say, eh, I didn't realize that's where pride comes from. So here's a list. These are subtle signs of pride. If you want to jot them down next to your space here on your... Because I'm going to give you an exercise at the end of this. The first sign, a subtle sign of pride is joking and belittling others. I mean, sometimes a joke's okay. But when we look at a joke a lot about a coworker, or maybe a joke a lot about a student in my class, or maybe a joke about these neighbors, or maybe things saying about them that aren't so nice, minorities... What about jokes about Democrats? I mean, we laugh about them, right? A Republican state. But when we do it a lot, what's it saying? Next, hiding secret faults is a subtle sign of pride. Like, I know we all like to walk in here on Sunday and, and really have a good facade at least, right? But we're all probably carrying secret faults, things that we go through a lot of steps to keep from disclosing to other people or keep hidden, things that we struggle with, and that's pride. When I keep those things hidden from others, from God, which we can't hide anything from. Third thing, defensive to someone correcting us is a subtle sign of pride. Whenever somebody corrects us, it just like drives us nuts. We get mad or we respond or we... And can I tell you that this whole list you're getting is written, written pretty, pretty much out of my personal <laughs> life, like any sermon. So like this one, defending, defensive is someone correcting. You know, I, and let's talk about sermon. Um, I bet I don't go, I bet three quarters of the time I'll get a constructive comment about sermon after Sunday. And I want to let you know is that, is that when, you, when you approach and say, hey, Brian, but I thought, or hey, this, or whatever about the sermon, and it's like, you'll see me say, well, thank you. Well, inside, I'm going, ah, it's like a stab right in the heart. It's like, what? I just worked 15 hours on this. But as I look across this group, this group um, is so diverse in theological background. I can't be right. 
with all of us. There's no way. Or I'm going to hit on things that maybe we don't like, or I'm going to hit on, like, pride. And, but I'm like, I struggle with this, man. It's like somebody says a constructive comment about a sermon. I'm like, gee. It's like, Holy Spirit, I worked with you all week. What's up with that? Hungry for attention is the next one. A subtle sign of pride is that maybe on social media we really project ourselves in a way um, that really isn't an issue of pride. But also another way is maybe just when we're in social circles, the only one that talks is us. And all we talk about is ourselves. Or we talk a lot about ourselves. Maybe we dominate the conversation. And the last one here, a subtle sign of pride is neglecting the weak, the inconvenient, or the unattractive. When my life doesn't have much time for the weak, when my life doesn't have much time to take a deviation from my course to help somebody because it's inconvenient, when my life doesn't hang out with certain people or maybe I don't even invite them to church with me or to my small group because they're technically unattractive, I guess. I'm afraid of what others might think. When... Um, Devin was praying. She prayed about our vision statement. Be bold, love loud, engage deeply. The first two words, be bold. I'm going to say, take this list and be bold. As I was writing this list, I was examining myself, but can I ask you to be bold today and self-examine yourself on this list and see what areas. But I'm going to ask you to even be bolder. Would you ask somebody who loves you or you love this list and ask, am I really got subtle issues of pride? I'm going to ask you to be brave and ask somebody who's close to you, who you trust, is do I struggle with these? And I'm going to ask the person that you love, who you ask, to be honest. Why am I picking on pride so much? I think this quote from Andrew Murray, he's a South African pastor and writer, I think this is the reason why. He says, pride must die in us or nothing of heaven can live in us. And pride blocks out all of our ability to grow and all of the ability of God to do new work in us. Pride will block it because it is the root. Okay, enough about that. That's not a fun topic. So, if, and the reason why this is important too is that we cannot begin to change for 2021 if we're allowing this part to be in our life. So if pride is a root of all bad things in our lives, now, what's the root of good? What is the one root that everything good grows out of? It's a word that we don't like to use. It's a word that if you're on David Letterman and say the top 10 characteristics of an American, you will not see this one in a top 10 list. Is Letterman too old school? Should I have a more current update on that one? Here it is, sermon number two, humility. Humility is the root of all heavenly virtue, all heavenly virtue comes from this root. The Bible would describe humility as meekness. The meek shall inherit the earth. It describes as lowliness and it describes it as the absence of self. Let me kind of move those words forward. Humility is these statements. I need God in everything and I need others. That is a statement of humility. I need God in everything and I need other people. It would put our priorities in life of God, others, us. We are third. 
Humility is a heart attitude. It is not just an outward appearance. I can hold humility up here, but never really change because it never gets here. Humility is the root of everything that is good in us. Now, some people might say, we had this discussion a little bit right in this with somebody. It says, isn't love the greatest thing in all of us? Well, it is. God is love. It's the greatest characteristic of love. It's the greatest characteristic of a Christian. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave us the greatest commandment of love. Fifteen words. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment. We've got to understand when we look at loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, loving ourselves. if there's pride involved in our lives, we do not make room for humility to do that. For example, when there's pride, you take that 15-word sentence, you only keep the first and the last, love yourself. And everything evaporates in between. Humility is the root of everything that is good, and we see that in the fruits of the Spirit. Humility is the root of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It all grows out of the root of humility. C.S. Lewis, you guys might be familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia and his writer. He's a famous Christian apologist and writer. He wrote this quote. You might have heard this one before. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that is very hard in what America has described or the Western European culture has described as a hyper-individualistic culture. And we are a very hyper-individualistic culture. It's a change we've only noticed over the last 40 to 50 years. So how do we go after this humility? You know, this last Christmas, we celebrated the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago. We, we really approached that whole Christmas day of over five weeks. It's called Advent. We celebrate Jesus' first coming. We anticipate his coming back when everything will be made good. What's astonishing to me is when we celebrate Christmas Day, it's not astonishing me that God came to earth as Jesus. That's not what's astonishing. God had a plan to save and rescue us. That doesn't blow me away. I mean, it's big. What blows me away is how he came to earth. Philip Yancey writes this great book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And in there he wrote this. He wrote, Jesus came not as a whirlwind, not as a consuming fire. He came as an ovum a small reproductive cell that the eye can hardly see that divided and became an embryo and became a baby. Jesus came to earth so low their eyes could hardly see him. He came that first Christmas day as a baby. We sing it. It's written in scripture. Humbly, he came. You can't get any more humble than that. Jesus is our greatest example of humility. It's why we're Christians. Christians means my life is to be not only a follower of Christ, my life is to be like him. His greatest characteristic on earth was humility. 
When we say be the new in this series, when we say don't wait for the world to change, but be the new, we mean be a new creation every day in Jesus, in his likeness. And here's an important statement to me. Being a Christ follower should never get old. It should get newer and newer, right? If it's getting old, something's wrong because being a Christ follower actually is being new every day. So let's talk about humility then. Let's talk about how do, we, how do we get to be like Jesus. Here's your third sermon note together. Humility is the removal of self and the enthronement of Jesus. Christ is, Jesus is not, never really at the center of our universe until he is at the center of our universe. You know what I'm saying? Enthroned in our hearts, ruler of our lives, lover of our souls, savior of our lives. And this is beautifully described in the scripture. The main scripture we're sharing today is out of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, writing to this little church in this very difficult environment and saying, this is how we are to be like Christ. Starting in verse 5. Paul writes, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every, and underline that word in your Bible, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and below the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me go back through this again. Let's see what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, here is the example of humility. This church in Philippi had a mission in a really hard area to carry out. And he says it starts here. It starts with humility in each of us. And he gives us Jesus' example. He says, Jesus set aside his rights as God. Jesus is God. He's one of the triune three persons of God. He set aside his rights, left heaven, and came down as an ovum came down as a cell, came down as a baby. He voluntarily gave of himself, making himself literally almost nothing. He took the humble position not only of a child, but of a slave. And what does it mean when we say Christ was a slave? It means he spent his entire public life, earthly ministry, serving others. He was a slave to others. Jesus said himself, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. His, uh, he humbled himself so much, it says, 
to accomplish one task, one mission that God had given him, and that was to die for sinful humanity in order that you and I would have eternal life. He died a criminal's death. It wasn't a criminal. He suffered on that cross the ultimate humiliation that we might be saved. That's humility. And there's a big word, therefore. And God took that life in Christ and gave all glory and honor to him. He seated him in the highest place, the name above all names. He gave him all power and authority that he came first as our Savior. He is coming back as judge to sift those who love him and those who choose not to. God did not leave Jesus in the grave after he died on the cross, but he raised him from the dead. He brought him up to heaven and he glorified him. And those, and it says every knee, I want you to underline every knee will bow because every knee, whether they believe in Jesus or not today, every knee will bow. That's what this verse says. Those who love Jesus will bow down in adoration and worship and those who refuse to acknowledge and love him will bow down in submission and fear. Paul's writing this to a church that was just starting in a pagan city where nobody knew God or believed in Christ. He wanted these believers to be unified. That's what humility does. It brings us together. He wanted them to be morally pure so they didn't look like the rest of the world that was broken and lost. And he wanted them filled with good works so that they could all bring the light of Christ into that dark world. Paul's writing this. He says, we are to be the new. And it starts with humility. So we take this scripture, move it forward to today. It's still true. God wants us to be humble. He wants us to be humble, just like his son Jesus. And it, it's not that God does not want us to be lifted up. We, we, we see this wrong. It's just that he wants to exalt us in his way, not the world's way. We want to be exalted in the world's way. God wants to exalt us and lift us up in his way. God wants us to see our greatness is, is because of Christ's greatness, not because of ours. And when I look at this scenario, put this like bow around humidity, humility, humility. This quote from Zach Poonin. Zach Poonin is a, he's in India. Tough place to be a Christian. He's a Christian writer, preacher, and teacher. He wrote this. He reminds us that sin came through the pride of Lucifer, the enemy. Salvation came through the humility of Christ. We are all saved today as followers of Christ because of humility. So we've discussed pride. We've discussed the greatest example of humility. So now, how do we be humble? How do we all leave here in that humility? Problem is, is it doesn't come from within us. The problem is that statement, how do we become humble? That's, that's the problem. Now we don't have the ability. Our, our sin nature is too strong. We're going to keep going back. I... Here's a quote. This is from Mignon McLaughlin. She's a writer from several famous women's magazines over time. She said, the proud man can learn humility, but he will be proud of it, right? That's true. 
when we work on humility so much, you know, it's like, hey, if there's one thing I got going that others don't is I'm humble, right? That's how it tends to work when we work on it. So sermon note number four. This is our last sermon note that helps us see how do we get humility. Humility is given and it's shaped through God's grace. Humility is given to us and it's shaped through God's grace. Let me explain the whole shell. Grace is, is God's unmerited favor on us. What it means is God loving us and giving us what we need, whether we deserve it or not. Grace, God gave us everything. God gave us this day. God gave us the breath in our lungs right now. He created each one of us. Amen. And that was done through his grace. Whether we deserved it or not. God gave us salvation through grace. Through Jesus, he sent his son as a babe, humble babe. And by his grace, those who follow and believe were saved. We have salvation through grace. And then because Jesus did that for us and opened a path for us to be to God, God's now given us his Holy Spirit. And it's through that Holy Spirit that we become and are shaped like his son. It's through his grace and the Holy Spirit that we're shaped. God's Spirit's the one that talks to us all day long, that reminds us about what pride is and about what humility is. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 kind of encourages us about this humility. And it says, And all of you, all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, how? Under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The word you might see in an older text is exalt. God will exalt us in his time. Look at that, dress ourselves. Dress ourselves today in humility. Serve each other in humility. What's interesting, when you look at the context of this, this is written in a part where it's talking about a church and the struggle that Peter is writing, the Apostle Peter is writing this church, a struggle that they're having between their generations. The older generation, the younger generation. And this is the same struggles we see today. Because of pride, the older generation doesn't try to understand the younger generation. And because of pride, our younger generation doesn't listen to the older generation. And he's talking about the same tension and respecting and how humility brings us all together when we listen and understand together. It's the greatest need of any church. We are a very mixed generational church. And this is an area that we can work on in humility too. And, and Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34, the part in quotes there, God opposes the proud. God's gonna come against pride. But he gives grace and more grace and more grace to those who are humble. Humility, what this tells us is it does not come naturally, it does not sustain naturally, and it relies on something outside of us. It comes through God's power. And one day, it finishes, one day, God will promise that he will exalt us, he will honor us. He might do it today. He promises he'll do it in eternity. I think he does both. So I gave you a subtle signs of pride to check ourselves. Let me give you also a subtle signs of humility. What are the subtle signs? The harder to see signs 
that humility is really seeping in with me. And I'm really listening to God's Spirit. I'm really evacuating my heart and leaving room for the Spirit to do change in me to be a different person this year. The first, thank God often and always. The first sign of humility, subtle sign of humility is thank God often and always. You know, I was thinking of this very point this morning when I got up, not to describe my personal life too much, but I went to the coffee machine first. I poured a coffee, and I'm walking towards the shower, and this thing came to my mind, thanking God often and always. I was thanking Him that I had nice warm jammies, that my thermostat was working, that I had this nice peppermint mocha. I know I'm kind of a, like, I'm not a hard coffee guy. So I'm like, I had this really nice coffee cup, and I'm going down the hallway, and I'm walking towards a hot water heater that works. And I just thought, I just counted like 20 blessings in about 40 steps. But I thank God. It's like, wow, hey, God, look at me. It's like I thanked him. Without him, I wouldn't have any of this. The second, this one's tough. Acknowledge our sin to others. Don't hide our secret sin. Don't whitewash and come to church. I really encourage you. You got a close friend. You got a spouse. You got a parent. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin to your brother. It's right there in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Trusting somebody you love to not judge you and share what you're struggling with will help you hold accountability to do better. I come out of uh, an unchurched background. My first background was Catholic church. You know, and some people get on the thing that we go to priests and priests they hear the confession. We lived in a small town. I didn't go through the veil and the conf- The priest knew all of us. He knew all of our voice. So we just sat across the table from him. It is humbling to sit across from my brother and tell him what I did this week. And I always walked out of confession 10 feet off the ground because I felt like that was where really taken off and then I had to do like a hundred Hail Marys and stuff like that but it was (laughs) but it did there was something really lifting about confessing my sin to my brother my sister next subtle signs of humility be the first to be last kids when we're in school be last in a lunch line unless it's alphabetical order or whatever you know be last there'll be food when we uh, when we go to the line at the grocery store, pick the longest line. It's just an act of humility. Let somebody else who you know needs to be, maybe somebody else needs that close parking space and I could use 100 steps today. (laughs) Maybe I park the farthest away. Whatever that is, with these subtle things we do every day to keep humility ingrained in us. Be the first to be last. Next, listen well and speak well of others. We are a culture that speaks quickly and doesn't listen very well. So listen well. Really teach yourself patience when somebody's talking to listen and not formulate answers and things, but really, truly listen. And then we speak well. This is from all of our parents and grandparents' instruction, right? If you can't say anything nice, please don't let it come out of your mouth. That's humility. Next, Take correction grace, graciously. This is hard for us too. In a reaction in a social media culture, we react to everything, everything that's critical of us. Blah, we shoot something back. Take correction graciously. So when I told you earlier that 
most, most, probably three quarters of my sermons I get a constructive comment from. Probably three quarters of my sermons I get a constructive comment. And just, but I will tell you, and it, this is why you can see how this works for me. Every Monday morning, this script goes out to two groups of people, and I invite constructive thought. It helps me grow. Does it sting when they come? Yeah. Deb, I'm gonna point out Deb is one of my most gracious encouragers and she will go right after the heart and say, dude, you bombed on that one. It's like, <laughs> and without Deb, without Dylan, Lene, and the others, but these are people in our church, some are new believers, some who have been around a long time and know things academically. They get my sermons and they get the freedom to, they encourage, they do, but they get the freedom to say, I think you missed this point or hey, I think you came across and I learn from that. And it grows me. Is it sting? Every time it does. But don't be afraid to come up. Somebody come up right after last service and said, hey, something about service. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I think we'll all grow. All right, next one, moving on. Friend of the week, the inconvenient and the unattractive. Look around in your life. Be friends with the weak. Walk with a brother or sister who's struggling welcome inconvenience that's what ministry is we are all have ministry we are all ministers and it is almost always inconvenient in humility you will change your schedule and help and the unattractive for nobody is unattractive to God but we have filters that we struggle with sure. look around and see do I have these people around me and do I need to grow in these areas it'll change me and the last one, one of my favorite ones, is laugh at ourselves. Amen. I think we really need this. Laugh at ourselves. Yes. Can I tell you a funny story about pastor? It says his pastor announced his resignation to a church, and he was approached right afterwards by an endearing older member of the congregation, and she wept over the pastor's decision to leave, and she said things will never be the same. And the pastor humbly, humbly tried to console her by saying, don't worry, I'm confident you will get a new pastor who's better than me. And she continued to cry and she replied, that's what the last three pastors said, but they just keep getting worse. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Laugh at ourselves. Humility is the first healthy spiritual habit we need. You understand now why this one is core because everything else we're going to work on over the next four weeks will struggle if we're dealing with pride. So stay tuned. Come back next week as we tackle the next thing and ingrain these habits over the next 21 days as each one comes out. We as a church are not waiting for the world to change. Don't wait for the world to change. Be the change. We are to be the new and it starts with God and it starts with humility. Without humility, the things of heaven cannot grow in us. So let's be the new today. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to go to offering here, and I think offering is maybe looking at that list and praying for what we need to get rid of and praying for what we need to add. I want you to think of those things. I want you to be bold and ask somebody to help. Offering is also a time where we give our talent, our time, our gifts, our finances, the church to do our mission. As a reminder, when you leave, there's boxes right by the door. We're behind budget, so we just encourage you to give um, faithfully and give to what God is doing. You're not giving to something else. You're giving to this family so the family can do the mission and God's work. 
those boxes are by the doors. It's online. There's all the ways that we give online, too. We'd love for you to stay consistent with that. Um, to our guests, this Connect card is just huge, like Jack was telling us. I'd love to connect with you. We'd love to write you a note on Monday and just see your experience here and see if we can answer questions. You can drop that off and drop in those boxes. And another one, we probably get six to a dozen of these a week, is prayer. We hold your prayers up all week long. I would love those online. You have a prayer card there too. We would love it if every one of you would give us a prayer or a praise and we would run with it here and we love to hold up the church in those ways. Okay, would you bow your heads and pray with me please? And the worship team can come back and join us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, but most of all, we thank you for your son, for humbly he came. Humbly he is our example and that's what we're Christians are. Father, this humility will combine us as a church. It will make us united. It will make us strong. Humility is not a position of weakness. It is a position where we all stand and have complete confidence in who God is, what he's doing, and what he will do. Father, rise up in our hearts. This is our first offering. Anything on this list and the pride we struggle with that we can knock it down, it will be a constant battle in our lives to fight pride but without it, we cannot love you with everything we have, and we cannot love our neighbor, and we'll even struggle with loving ourselves. So, Father, bring the things of pride. Help us cultivate the new, subtle habits of humility. We write them down. The next 21 days, we work on those things to be humble. For that will provide the root and the fertile soil that, Father, the next four weeks, what we're going to talk about can really grow. And this church wants to be the new and this church wants that new in the lives of everybody around us for we want the glory of God through Christ to be known in our world Father bless each person here let's leave 2020 behind and let us let you begin a new work in us we pray all this in the mighty name of the one whose name is above all names in Jesus name we pray amen Stand with us.
change. Go out and be the change today. Have a good week.